0: This episode is sponsored by the Anchor app. This app has truly changed my podcasting flow in a multitude of ways, as I'm now able to record more often due to it being a one-stop shop for recording, editing, distributing, and sponsorships. This app is completely free, which is pretty unheard of in the podcasting world as the majority of hosting platforms require a storage fee. So not only is the app free and incredibly easy to use, but it helps to match you with brands that you as the host believe in and want to support and so that you can get paid to podcast. I'm so grateful to have been introduced to this platform as I've literally gotten hours of my life back just by switching to Anchor, which took all of one minute to do. This is an amazing place to start if you're interested in creating a podcast of your own. You can find them at anchor.fm forward slash start to join myself and so many others in the podcast movement. That's anchor.fm forward slash start. Thank you so much, Anchor, for supporting this episode and for changing the podcasting game for the better.
1: And what they think is, and we think too, is, oh, I don't want to share this because I don't want to hurt the other person. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. When actually, it's more, I don't want to make myself uncomfortable. Yes. I'm not comfortable being vulnerable in this capacity right. and sharing this truth about me.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode
2: of the Calm Collective podcast. I'm Cassandra, and this is a podcast where we dive in to all things self-worth, self-awareness, self-discovery, spirituality, entrepreneurship, mindfulness, what have you. I am so grateful that you are here. If this is your first time, welcome. If you are a reoccurring listener, thank you so much and welcome back. So I thought I would just dive in first with a little update on what's been going on. So I was sick for about two weeks. Sorry for the delay with the podcast. My voice was really bad. It's still not... normal, but it's not as bad as you will hear in this episode. I'm really sorry about that. I promise it's so worth listening to. Um, I just couldn't wait to get Clara on the podcast. So I powered through and it is well worth it. Um, I wanted to highlight a book that I actually just finished this morning. It was so, so good. It's called Do Less by Kate Northrup. Um, I devoured this basically from cover to cover. The one thing I will say is that it's, this is going to sound kind of strange, but it is targeted towards working moms. It sounds strange because I am not a working mother, Um, but if you are a working mother, definitely grab this book. But even if you're just someone like me, just single or dating or not mothering, whatever, this book is just a really beautiful approach to life in general and the way that Kate writes is just really soothing and relatable and I just wanted to give it a quick plug. It's not sponsored in any way. I just really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, Also, I saw the movie The Sun is Also a Star last night. I was kind of hesitant on whether or not I wanted to see it. I thought the previews looked a little cheesy. Um, but my mom and I talked and we were like, you know what, we're just in the mood for something light. So we went and we saw it in the theater yesterday and it was actually really, really sweet. The writing is not that great, but the acting was fantastic. And we just left the movie being like, they did the best with what they were dealt. But the two main characters are so great. The story is pretty important. Um, and, I definitely cried a couple of times, so did my mom. So for any of you who are maybe on the fence like me, it's definitely worth seeing if you just want a feel-good movie. But do know that the writing could have used a little bit of help. Um, what else? So I also wanted to tell you all about a new free challenge that just went live the other day. It's my free seven-day declutter challenge. And one of the main questions that I get day in and day out over on Instagram or in response to my mindfulness newsletter, um, the Monday mindfulness newsletter, revolves around the act of decluttering. So for instance, like how does one even start or how does one make time for something so major? How can you rationalize sticking with it for the long haul? And the list goes on with the certain questions that I get. So I finally decided to create a free and attainable program by simply implementing all of the steps that I took personally to not only declutter my life, but what ended up happening was I was reprogramming my mindset around what that all meant. So from material possessions to sentimental items to our digital clutter and the emotions that link them all together, right? This spread out, go at your own pace challenge is now here to guide you and hold your hand through each and every process. So you'll get a total of seven emails sent to your inbox over the course of about 12 days, and this is just to ensure you're not overwhelmed. So um, it'll include my own personal stories, a moment to take some inventory, and a super productive assignment, including a free download here and there to get you going on your decluttering journey. So if this is landing well for you and the time feels right to do this, you can sign up um, for this challenge by clicking on the free seven-day declutter challenge link in the show notes, or you can go to my website, thecomcollective.com, where a pop-up will appear for you to sign up there. And as always, if you do sign up, please remember, if you feel so inclined, reach out to me whenever you desire with these emails, whether you are a part of the Monday Mindfulness newsletter community, or you sign up for this challenge, you can always hit reply to those emails. I'm a real human over here and connection is first and foremost the reason that I keep showing up here on this platform. I love being able to chat with you guys so if you need further assistance or you just want to share how the process is going for you, I'm all ears. Okay so let's dive into what's going on in today's episode and side note again, please forgive my voice during this interview as you recorded. I was still just so brutally under the weather with my sinus infection, so I'm very sorry. Okay, anyway, I am so excited to introduce you to Clara Artschwager, who is an all-around, just an incredible human. We met briefly about two years ago through a close mutual friend of ours, and I've been following along with her ever since. Um, Clara has this gift of being so... Effortlessly transparent and vulnerable through her words. And she's been featured on publications such as Man Repeller, Shape Magazine, Girl Boss, New York Magazine, just to name a few, for her refreshing outlook on dating and relationships in the modern world. She's a sought after coach for both men and women alike, looking to navigate healthy partnership both with others and with themselves. Now, in case you're thinking, but I'm married or I'm not dating, so. Why would this be of service to me? I highly encourage you to keep listening because Clara goes deep into so many different areas of the human condition that can greatly benefit each and every one of us. Single, in partnership, married, or what have you, there's a large takeaway here and a really beautiful message that unravels through this organic conversation. This chat with Clara took so many lovely unexpected turns and exceeded my expectations. So sit back. Get comfortable and just be prepared to feel completely understood as you listen to Clara share her own personal story and the clarity that she's gained along the way. So just a quick word from today's sponsor before we get started, and then we're on our way to the show. Clara, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to come on the show. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Mm, it's a pleasure. You're so welcome. I'm really excited.
2: Yeah. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Clara, she is a modern dating and relationship coach. Um, I met Clara actually at a mutual friend of ours. Um, it was her daughter's first birthday party and we had somewhat of a quick exchange, but I just remember I was like sitting on the floor and you were sitting on the couch and I was just like so in awe of this lifestyle that you had in New York and I've just been following oh. you ever since. Yeah. And it's been really fun to watch you take on this journey and have so much success with it. So I'm well, really pumped you that you're here. I feel like I'm like,
1: what lifestyle was that? <laughs> it but,
2: just, you um, felt like it just, you seemed like you had just like kind of everything together and you had these like really big visions for yourself. And yeah, it's just been really cool to sort of watch that play out organically. So it's really funny because when you're talking about your life and what you do and what it looks like to another person, it might yeah. not feel like, that big of a deal, but for someone to like be able to take notice of things happening for you on the other side, it's just been really lovely to watch. So I'm really happy for you.
1: Well,
2: thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, you're right. The perspective is so different Mm -hmm. because... I do have big visions, but also know that I'm, you know, I feel all the things other people feel.
2: Oh, you're an empath.
1: (laughs) Together, as we always think, but it's actually, no, it's so lovely to hear that. I really appreciate
2: that. Yeah, of course. So I like to start off by painting a picture for all the listeners. So can you give us a little visual and some insight as to what life is looking like for you right now in this moment?
1: Oh, yeah, it's looking, I can tell you, I just stepped out. Uh, onto my deck. I live in the Hudson Valley, which is about two hours North of New York city. That's a pretty new thing. I moved up here a couple of months ago. I was down in the city for eight years and I've kind of always been in the city in the sense I lived there until I was five years old. And then my family lived there part-time all throughout growing up. So it doesn't feel like a big, like I really left something, mm-hmm. but in terms of what my life looks like now, I'm sitting in my upstairs loft in this house that I, Well, I bought a house and I knocked it mostly down. So it's a half, I built a house half. I really, really, but, um, so yeah, I'm sitting in this loft and it's just this gorgeous spring day and everything is blooming and, I have no landscaping, and there is a tractor in my yard. <laughs> it's been like digging up all the topsoil. Yeah. Uh, so my life looks very different right now, but it's been a wonderful place to coach and to write. do oh, a lot yeah. of writing these days. Just like go inward. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty dreamy, That's but so unexpectedly nice. dreamy. Yeah which is sometimes the best. And to have that like juxtaposition, you know, it's like you can appreciate the hustle of the city and then have that other appreciation of like the quiet and that more like, dare I say, like country way of life, you know, where things are just like slower. Oh, I've gone full on country. Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, yes,
1: yes. Totally. The juxtaposition you're so right. But it, and I didn't really realize how much I needed it until I got Mm. up here. Oh yeah. I actually, I grew up here too. So there was a whole sort of oh, eco okay. feeling of I'll never go back to my yeah. hometown. And that's actually been, but yeah, when you said country, it's so funny. I'm basically at the, because the house is still sort of being finished up. And so I find myself at the hardware store a lot, whether I'm buying light bulbs or firewood. Yeah. And yesterday I was checking out and eyeing the Carhartt, like baseball caps. And I was like, I think
2: I think I need one of those. Oh my so. gosh, yeah. <laughs> That's so that funny. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: I want to talk about on the, you just touched on that, but like the ego of going home, like that ego dance of going home, I can so relate to that. After my um, most recent breakup, I had this like fierce argument with my ego where I was like, I can't go back to Chicago. Like that just yeah. shows everyone that I failed yet again at another relationship, which is such BS. But I... but you're so Uh, so visceral yes and it took me a good month it took me a good month of traveling and trying to pretend like you know if I move here like everything will be different you know if I move here everyone will think that I like have everything together and obviously that was just like not my truth whatsoever Chicago was where I was meant to be right now and Mm -hmm. man that dance is so real so for anyone who's had that and can they're shaking their heads over there Clara and I are with you.
1: But totally. I mean and I gosh, I didn't even see it coming and I I too the plan was to have uh I had a home down in the city with my partner and then my ex-boyfriend and uh and then this house was going to be where we spent the weekends or you know mm-hmm. in between mm-hmm. we both had flexible schedules. And so it wasn't always going to be a primary home. And then when things ended, uh I moved out and I mean, talk about fortuitous timing. The house renovation finished the week that things ended. Oh, wow. Um, but at first, I didn't really process. I just thought, okay, this is the place that I go where I move all my belongings, and I'll figure it out later. And at first, when I was up here and people were asking, well, oh, are you here full-time? I, would, I was like, oh, no, no, to- yeah, no, totally. Do not I, misunderstand. Oh, I, no, I'm so I'm still in the city. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, no, actually, that's not true. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, w- I was um, because I had to be there more for work. And then, yeah, and then I actually was going down the path of finding another apartment down there, and I found one. It was like the whole thing of, oh, I found the exact one that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was like, wait a minute, I don't want this. Oh, wow. I know. So Crazy. it's been... It's been, re- yeah, it's been really interesting, but I totally, I think there's a lot of, I was away for 15 years. I had so much ego, and I'm never coming back to this town. I'm so much more than this. I, just, I mean, I, I sound like such a rat but it's what you, and yeah, all the things. Um, and yeah. it's been, it's been a learning lesson on many fronts. Yeah. And so. it can
2: sound however it sounds, but it's so relatable, you know, it's yeah. like, Oh, yeah. Everyone understands. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what was it that, um, or what were you doing, I guess, prior to becoming a coach, a writer, and a speaker? Yeah. I I
1: often say I feel like I was a coach trapped in a marketer's resume for <laughs> 11, yeah. 11 plus years. So mm-hmm. I've worked in a variety of forms of marketing since I graduated, which I feel I did. I, my, my undergraduate was in philosophy and women and gender studies, but oh, wow. i I just actually started telling people that for a while I would say, oh, I have a liberal arts education because I was afraid they would start asking me questions about like Aristotle and Kant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. just, I didn't
0: You're really like, so can not? Yeah.
1: To <laughs> And of course now I see such a thread between what I do now. But, um, yeah, I mean, I went into, you know, I was, I worked as a marketing associate and, I lived in DC for several years after mm. before I moved back to New York and yeah so in a variety of different companies where I did brand marketing, digital marketing, social media marketing, PR I worked for a period for myself where I did that freelance for clients. so um, and then most recently I had started a company I had joined uh, somebody I went to college with I joined him at the beginning of 2016 very early. And it was a app, a fitness based app. It was originally called SkyFit. It's now called Active, and it's audio fitness. So we were the first audio fitness app. And yeah, that was. I mean, I joined when there were just two, three of us, and we took the company from you know just this little hole in the wall in a WeWork to uh, over a hundred. I mean, I think they're now 150 people, something oh, wow. of that nature.
2: That's amazing. Twenty
1: million in revenue in less than two. It was just wow. a total. Yeah, and it was really uh, exciting. And God, I learned so much. I mean, it was my MBA in a mm-hmm. nutshell, but I reached that pinnacle of title and salary. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember vividly being in a, uh, it was like a skincare store. I think it's called credo beauty. It's like all organic beauty. Mm-hmm. And it was a Saturday and I was in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And I bought just cause I could, I bought, I mean, I like the, I love Tata Harper, but I spent like $450 on makeup or skincare and that was totally normal. And I just was like, I, God, I'm not really happy in any of this. Mm, so, so, and wow. that was a huge, like I got to that point of that VP of marketing title and, yeah. and I was like, Oh, I've never been more miserable and more sick. I also, I mean, we could, it's a whole story. I, you know, uh, Developed my anxiety worsened during that. I went through a period I had SIBO, which is like a gut infection. It's very difficult to heal. And I mean, you know, mind body gut mind connection. All those things are correlated. So yeah. yeah. So I mean, I, I don't mean it was a, it was it was it was the teacher I needed, and I had to go that far. Oh yeah. In order to reach, I'm sure you can like course redirect. Yeah. And. And then ultimately I was working with a coach who really helped. She was the one that got me into, uh, encouraged me and, and got me into my trainings. And initially I did a, I did a life coaching and a health coaching program, two separate ones. And I was going to, I was like, okay, I'll do them, but I'll do my job full time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then in the, at the, I don't know, in late winter of 2018, I, I went to Bali on a yoga retreat for two weeks. Oh and my gosh. Yeah, that <laughs> was pretty That That is so on my you, list. You can't, oh my gosh, I have a lot of wonderful things to say about Bali, but, and then I just came back and quit my job. I, I kind of feel like it's really mm. hard to not go to Bali and, and then come back
2: and quit your job. Or just have like a life um, revelation of like, what am I doing? Yeah. I have to change. Okay. Yeah. All the
1: life revelations. Oh, I mean, so my good. friend that I went to now has a completely different life and it so was amazing. really...
2: I refer to it that really... as like the wake up call, you know, and... Oh, yes. I think... I think some people think that they've had one. Um, but the thing with wake up calls is that, like, it's only a wake up call if you listen. Because wait, real Never. wake up calls, real rock bottoms are the ones that shake you and you can't unfeel it. You can't unsee it. You have to do something different. You know, like, you can get little nudges or yeah. what my sister and I call psychic wax to where you're like, oh, man, okay. Like, I felt that, but like, not enough to make the change, right? Like for you having like your gut issues, you're like, ah, this is really uncomfortable. But like, I guess I keep on going, you know, and it wasn't until that retreat where you're like, whew. Yes. I so love that you just said that. It's so funny. Just this morning
1: I was thinking about, so when I started that last job in marketing, I'll in that life, I'll call it a few months in. I was, it was like, I was really unhappy. And I remember calling a friend and saying, I just want to go away and do yoga for a month and just figure out my life and leave this all behind. And I remember having that feeling and I didn't, it didn't listen, Mm. but I couldn't, I couldn't have heard it then. Yeah. It just like, you know, maybe it was like a psychic tap on the show. I just, I couldn't have heard it. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, and I, I needed actually those two, but pretty much exactly two years later the same thing happened again. And that's when I couldn't unsee it to your yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I just wish people would have more grace with themselves and more patience when they feel lost or confused. Cause it's like, it's coming, you know, like you I are know. going to figure it out because you're not just going to like walk around lost forever. Like it's coming, you know, you just have to be willing yes. to really listen and be in the uncomfortable for a little bit. Now I relish those periods. Oh gosh. Because right. Yeah. I, because now I'm like, Oh, Okay listen up what's coming. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just become yeah. way more in tune with your mind, body, spirit, all the things. It's great. Yes. Yes. yes so yes. then that's what catapulted you into the business that you're in now, but what, what brought you to the niche of um, modern dating and relationships? What drew you to that specific area?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I always been curious about dating and relationships, specifically partnership from a mm-hmm. young age. My, uh, my parents divorced when I was young, when I was five years old, actually. But my my dad was married four times over the course of his life, my mom twice. And I say, I don't say that at all to disparage them in any way. They were wonderful, wonderful parents. It really gave me a front row seat to both their triumphs and their struggles mm-hmm. within partnership. Mm-hmm. And it just made me really curious from a very young age about how one creates a life that derives expansion, growth, creation from partnership. And I was also—I was a kid in the '90s. I was—I'm 33. I was born in 1985, so I was surrounded by lots of divorced families. Mm-hmm. And and they they all looked like different. They were all different versions. Where maybe the moms talked. Maybe they had a great stepmom. Maybe there was a great stepdad. Maybe it was terrible. And so, yeah, I was really, really aware of that from a very young age and curious about it. I could have consciously had said, Oh, I mean, I never planned to be this type of coach and I can explain why. Um, but I, that was percolating from a very, very young age. Mm. And then fast forward to, I mean, I was a pretty late bloomer. I, my first serious relationship was at the, I was painfully shy growing up and especially in high school. And I, just all the things I would never wish, uh, adolescence or high school Mm, on (laughs) just like so uncomfortable with hormones and body hair and (laughs) awkwardness. Yeah. I had all of that to the extreme. And, uh, yeah, so I had my first relationship that started pretty seriously at the end of college and we were together for seven years and, uh, I've, I've written about this, but essentially it's like, we both thought that would lead to marriage. That would be the thing. Um, and then we broke up at the beginning of 2014. And so it was the first time I'd been single in, yeah, nearly seven years. I was living in New York. I had little under a drunk college hookup under my belt, like I'd never really dated. And Mm -hmm. so it was at this point that I got really curious just personally about dating because, um, the, the most common narrative was that, Oh, it's just miserable. Oh, it's just bad. Oh, it's just terrible. Uh and so I also knew I was up against something more significant, you know, grappling with my identity and my sexuality and my parents past and you know, all the things. I think twenty-eight is such a significant those ages when when sort of the whole arc of your twenties you can it's like they're very close, but then thirty thirty feels so close. Oh yeah. And it was just I was sort of dropped on my ass and mm. and felt like, okay, I gotta I gotta figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very, very personal, you know, I never touted this or shared it really with anybody. Mm -hmm. And, and then, yeah, I, I did my life coach training and my health coach training. And because I'd had that whole gut infection, I was like, Oh, I'm going to combine the two and be a, you know, comprehensive wellness coach, as I put it, which sounds like absolute cardboard. Like, (laughs) what is that? (laughs) And, um, and so I had that out there. And then I'm a I'm a writer. I had worked in PR. It's it's funny, I'd never thought about my right myself as a writer until a few months ago. And I'd worked in PR, so I had all these um and I'd also worked in publishing. I'd worked at self-magazine for a period. And so I had all these editorial contacts and I thought, okay, well, I'll start writing personal essays about my experience to start to, you know, expose people to my work, my point of view, start to drum up business. And I had written a, uh, an essay about this whole gut infection, really, it was a battle with my own body dysmorphia. So I'd written a big piece on that for shape. And then I had also written a couple of essays for it's complicated that column in the cut for New York Mm. magazine, which is all often about dating and relationships and just the way in which PR, you know, editorial calendars fell the dating pieces Were published before the body dysmorphia piece was published, and the first dating piece, which was about dating without texting, um, and went went like bananas. I mean, people just went, and I can. I mean, we can talk about that. But essentially, like to your question of how did I get into this world when that piece blew up, I I always say it was like I had a billboard on my website that was like, "I'm a health coach," Mm -hmm. and then I had this tiny sign over in the corner. But like, also, if you want to talk about dating, we could if you want. Mm -hmm. But who, you know, I never never, um, planned, anticipated that, it, that I would do, you know, that I'd be a dating and relationships coach. But I think it's one of those things where it's like, you do the thing that just comes, I wouldn't say it necessarily comes naturally to mm-hmm. me, but I've done a lot. Of, I don't, know, you know, I've done a lot of, I don't say that to be like, oh, I figured it all out. I have not figured it all out.
2: No. But, and anyone um, who tells you that they have mm, walk away. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think that's a long way of saying of how I got there. Yeah. Well, I think the really cool thing, and I can relate when it comes to like mindfulness and self awareness and all that stuff, is that there those are things that I had had some issues with in the past. And so, same with you, right? Where it's like your dating life was heavy for seven years, and then you were like, "What am I doing?" And you went through like your awkward stage, and so you got curious. And I think what it really comes down to is what you become naturally curious about or what you really want to figure out for your own well being, can sometimes turn into something that you're meant to teach. Yeah,
1: no, thank you. And I, but it's so, I mean, I really, I fought it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I denied it. I was even embarrassed by yeah, it. Like, it who am I to do this? Things. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. And I, I don't know. I'm always careful to, you know, I think in the day, the in the age rather of social media, it's like people are so quick to tout themselves as an expert. Yes, And right. I'm, you know, speaking of mindfulness, I try to be really mindful of just that language. You yeah. know, that's a lot of why I write because anyone who ends up working with me is, I mean, <laughs> this is more like my marketing funnel brain, but <laughs> it was like, everyone comes in through writing. Mm. Um, and so, because I think there's a, I mean, one thing I'm able to do is just, if I'm able to serve somebody by sharing my raw story, if I'm able to say, hey, here's how I fucked up, here's mm-hmm. how I made a total mess of things, and mm-hmm. I'm still living through it, and yes. if I can make someone feel less alone and more seen, yes, whether we work together or not, great. I mean, yeah. there's, no, um, there's no greater there's no, to me, there's no greater feeling, but yeah, I, I hear you on that. Like, I don't
2: think I'd actually be teaching this. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's literally what you just said. It's all about the content that leads to connection. Like that's my only goal. Um, so yeah, I can definitely relate to you on that. So with, with modern dating, can you define what that, what that means to you?
1: yeah definitely although I will say it's an ever evolving of
0: course because I worked
1: because I worked in brand for so long I'm you know I'm always conscious of like what does the brand really say yeah that's but, right um but you know when it comes down to it, is when I began I call it my own dating journey uh, at the end of that relationship to me I felt like there was either there were sort of two schools of thought I could either Follow some strict formula to quote unquote get the guy mm-hmm. that, or I had to like completely and wholly love myself in every capacity, whatever the fuck that meant, yeah, in order to ever dream of having a successful relationship like ever. And I just, I for myself personally, I saw an opportunity for it's like a different approach, a different conversation. And I actually look at it as a different pursuit of partnership. Mm. I don't think that, because. I mean, for myself personally, and the people I end up working with, most people are seeking—I uh, call it—I'll I'll, say—meaningful partnership. Whatever that means to you, that mm-hmm. could mean, you know, wedding bands and mini bands. It could mean that you meet <laughs> someone that you're together for five years, like whatever it looks yeah. like to you. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I—I I felt that there was a different way to approach and look at things. One that took a more sort of artful and scientific approach to dating. So one that was grounded in psychology and neuroscience and human behavioral dynamics specifically for the age that we're in, because it is really a different time to be dating
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: it's a different time to be connecting with humans. That's just, I mean, absolutely what that means. Absolutely. Um, And so, yeah, so for me, it was instead of those two other limiting schools of thought, it was like, okay, how can I, approach this from developing really deep self-awareness, really deep emotional awareness Mm -hmm. or, um, excuse me, relational awareness, Mm -hmm. which is like how you relate to another, uh, emotional resilience and learning to communicate my needs really well. (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah, um, yeah.
2: So I know how you feel on this subject, but um, I would really love to dive into this. I've had issues around, not issues. I don't know if that's the right word, but Mm. with new potential partners, texting versus phone calls this day and age. Yeah, and
1: um,
2: I'm going to, I'll share it because I feel
1: like story is so powerful. So when it comes to texting, so I wrote this piece and the title of it was Dating Without Texting is the Absolute Best. And if you write for... Anything you know? I mean, the title was out of my hands because it all comes down to SEO and mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know click through and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and so it gave off this sentiment that like it gave off a rule, and I'm very anti rules and games and and all and all that stuff. And so it gave off this sense of like I'm like I don't text anyone when I date, and if you really what the piece was coming down to, and it's this story about how my ex-boyfriend and I basically had a conversation around um, our communication styles, which is a way less sexier title. Yeah, totally. And <laughs> you know, then like, here's how to communicate with someone on the third date. Yeah. Um, no, no thanks. Been... <laughs> well, yeah, I know. They're like, I don't want to read that. Yeah. Um, but if you write something, so the thing about texting is that whether you're dating or not, there's, there's an undercurrent of communication that happens in texting, uh, even if you're not saying anything back and forth. So like you and I could text and I could, I don't know. I'm just like, I could have sent you, well, we have this mutual friend. So I could be like, you know, blah, blah, blah about that. A million emojis, whatever. And if you had texted back two days later, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Cassandra texts back you know two days later, like nothing, no, you know, no hurt feelings. I'm not jostled by Mm -hmm. that. Um, My mom can send me a text. That's like, did you land? Like if I'm getting on a plane and it won't bother me because that's just, my mom who you know wants to make sure her child is you know who <laughs> is arriving safely and I'm not like that's really controlling you add in dating where you're dealing with um, just these complicated emotions of getting to know someone and developing feelings and not knowing what their communication style is what mm-hmm. their texting style is what mm-hmm. the dynamic is there and it's a real, I feel like I'm swearing a lot, so I don't want to... That's spell. okay.
2: No, speak I'm, your language. It's a real mindfuck. You're good. Totally. <laughs> I'm gonna say,
1: But the thing is, is that we are at the mercy of it. We don't realize what's happening. And I often find people will be like, oh, I should just get over this. I should just not care. And it's like, well, if you actually understand what's happening, it's very anxiety. It can produce a lot of anxiety. And yeah. so... The reason, it wasn't like we had just decided, oh yeah, texting is the devil in dating. We're not going to. What happened was, is he was like, look, I'm working on a book. I need large swaths of time slash I'm not really a texter. And this was actually happening right on the heels of after I left that big marketing job. Or I I say it was like the last big job and then Mm -hmm. I really changed careers. Mm -hmm. So I was taking this, this basically my first sabbatical ever, which I mean, I didn't really give myself that much time, but uh, it was a really significant period in my life. I had a month off in New York before I moved upstate for the summer and I didn't want to be tethered to my phone. And I had also, I had just dated somebody previously before that, where it's like a weekend and you know, he's, I'm getting texts in the morning that are like, how'd you sleep? And it's like, my mom's not even, you know? Mm-hmm. So then you have, so I'm not saying, yeah. or it gives you a false sense of,
2: intimacy. So I guess what I'm saying is, Oh my gosh, you nailed that on the head with that last sentence. A hundred percent agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 And then, right. And I mean, God, you could, I could go in so many different directions. I don't know if I've really answered your initial question around text or phone call to me, it's more about, and this is, does not sound sexy, but it's like, well, what are your, how do you prefer to communicate with somebody? Yeah. And that is such a loaded question because we're so afraid of being too much or too needy or too demanding or, you know, this, that, and the other thing that we almost can't even fully answer that question because our brain just goes to, you go on a date, you don't want to be the first one to text back because you think that's going to mean something. And then Mm. the whole house is going to come crashing down. So, um, I,
2: Hmm. (laughs) Honestly, no, <laughs> yes. Like just your perspective alone. So I'm like over here nodding my head, like my neck's going to break.
1: The, the thing about that article that, you know, that there wasn't because you only have so many words and it didn't go in. So the really, the really cool thing about the back when we, you know, this was last I don't know, spring, whatever we had that conversation and then, yeah, we didn't text. And then, but I would have these moments during the day of where I thought of something to text him. Mm-hmm. and then at the end of that week, I wrote him an email, and the subject was the things I would have texted. Oh, my and gosh. I love that. It was this really, so they were, God, I'm trying to remember. It was something like, it's pretty hot. You're into boxing. We <laughs> should make, che- I'm, I I'm, I think it was like, we should make cheeseburgers this weekend. Do you have condoms at your place? Like, it was these four things, and he, he, he wrote back and he was like, Oh my God, I can hear your voice in a way that I never heard it before. It totally, it was just so fun. And it had you, you, um, gosh, it's like it allowed us to savor it. Like I think of when you're sort of, I don't know, saving up for, um, like dessert or something. It's like you've been not, I don't want to mean like you haven't been restricting yourself, but you just are eating a piece of food or eating some food and you're like, God, this is, I just am so present in this. Yeah. And then yeah, we would get together and this buildup of conversation was just mm-hmm. so like ri- so much richer than that. What you were describing is like the, the filler, the yeah. chit chat.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think, I think too, there are certain relationships that are different and certain people that are different where totally. you almost like prefer texting. It's reminding me of previous,
1: this was years ago previous, I, I mean, I had, I, there was one guy that we never even met in person, but our texting dynamic was like a drug. And I think this yes. happens too in maybe more in online where mm-hmm. you just have this banter. Truly. Really, all I can say is we never met in person yeah. and we had this banter and it was so, and then one time I just decided to call him because I was like, this is so weird. And that phone conversation was so awkward. No. It was so awkward and it was so oh telling my yeah. around. I mean, talk uh, about the false intimacy. I had completely yeah. built up this person in my head. And
2: yeah. Uh, so that's so, the thing too with texting that you have to be careful when dating is that like it's kind yes. of the same with like bullying, you know, like people are willing to say and show a lot oh more God. of themselves behind a screen. Like totally don't. Yeah. That, that, that cannot be that. Yeah. I, so that's the next thing I wanted to get into because um, I know you wrote a piece on that. So I would love for you to sort of shed some light on why is that becoming such a default to it makes me sad because I'm obviously very much in the mindfulness and self-awareness community, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me really sad that that's kind of um, become a default in dating of saying no, thank you. Um, I think we're better than that. And I, I would just love to hear your perspective on why you think that's happening so often. Yeah, totally. I mean, if we, I'm always, you know, if we pull back the lens, really
1: ghosting is a byproduct of our inability to you know, be vulnerable with one another. I mean, shout out again to Brene, but I think the first step in dealing with ghosting is really unpacking why it happens in the first place. And I think mm-hmm. oftentimes we can think, Oh, it's just the ubiquity of dating apps, but it's been happening I mean people have ghosted as long as there's been uh, a day, you know courtship there's just I guess been that's true conversation yeah. about it but so if you think if we just apply it to an example so let's say you've gone on a date or a couple of dates with a guy and at whatever point um, and i I do want to clarify i I do use heteronormative language because like that's. I work with like heteronormative people I mean, just because I. I mean that's the area that I specialize. So I always want to be conscious of like we're you know however, however you know whatever your sexual preferences or whatever it like it happens in all of these things. But so if you go you know you go on a few dates it all seems great and then great and then all of a sudden there's total crickets. Yeah. You don't know what has happened, so that person could you know they could they could. They could not be feeling it. They could have had death in their family. They could have realized I'm not over my previous relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and what they think is, and we think too, is, oh, I don't want to share this because I don't want to hurt the other person. I don't want to make them uncomfortable when actually it's more, I don't want to make myself uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable being vulnerable in this capacity and sharing this truth about me because it's actually so, I mean, so freeing actually to be told very kindly, Hey, you know, I had a great time with you, Mm -hmm. but I I have to be honest, I'm just not feeling this. And I really wish you all the best. The reason why ghosting is so, I think why it's gained just such a, it's such a hot um, hot button topic is because I think there's no greater sort of, um, it's like the silent treatment. There's no greater sort of pain or frustration than, Just disappearing, just not acknowledging. Because even if you go to somebody and you say, "Hey, I'm not feeling this," you're at the very least acknowledging there was something here. Yeah. And I'm holding, you know, I'm operating with integrity. I'm holding myself responsible. I care about you as an individual to the point that I'm going, you know, I'm going to to say something. Right. Because that really is the more humane and responsible thing to do. But we're so we're really uncomfortable because. Yeah, we're really uncomfortable with being vulnerable in that fashion and then mm-hmm. uh having to we don't know how to react to the other person's reaction if they have any reaction at all and not make that our own.
2: Yeah, and look here's yeah. the thing, you know, like you don't it doesn't have to be this whole like, let's go out for coffee because you should tell them that in person. No, I do not believe that no. at all. If you feel like that's the right thing to do, fine. But like you can absolutely say, you know, the whole dance of like, Hey, I'm just really not feeling this because of XYZ via text. And that is not that scary, you know, and like the thing that you were saying was that like, it hurts far worse to be left in the dark than it does to be told that someone wasn't feeling it, your ego will be bruised, but I equate it to like, when you tear off a band aid, you know, it hurts for like a few seconds, but then you're like, huh, Okay, and now what, you know, and next, you know, it's like, you have that ability to just like, close that book and read another, or maybe pay attention to any of that, like ego bruising that you have going on where you're like, Ooh, I think there's like some work I need to do with myself before I step into something else. So.
1: Yeah. And it's also why I think it makes people so fearful then to date again, because they always are feeling like they're going to have the, you really feel like you've had the rug pulled out from under you when someone completely disappears. It's one thing for them to come to you and be like, Hey, I wasn't that, you know, that hurts. Yeah. Um, it's fair. But I, I, almost imagine like we're constantly sort of it's like we're we're ducking and and we're trying to suss out like are you are you gonna are are, are you gonna you know we're automatically on the defense when yes, we date totally because we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, and and we feel it's that example of oh, if I worry about something then it won't happen, so if I keep mm. worrying or anticipating I can somehow. Avoid this occurrence, which is a mm. nothing is more energetically exhausting. I mean, I totally. think when people feel so when they say they're the dating is so hard, it's so miserable. The reason it's so draining is because it takes so much mental energy. The, the worry captures so much mental energy.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm so going through that right now just because, like, I think mm. once you go through a bad heartbreak, it's kind of the same. Mm. You know, where it's like, you're like, <laughs> uh-huh. oh, you, you know, you have like this armor up where you're like, well, no, like that can't happen. That's not going to happen to me again. Like, I won't let that happen. I'm smarter than that. And there are pieces of you that aren't fully showing up for like this new person because you're so on the defense and you're so afraid, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, oh, I feel you. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm in my own cocoon of taking a break from uh, from dating after this last relationship ending. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, no, those things are very present, very, very present. And I think the more with the type of work that you do too, you're more conscious of them.
2: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is a, it can be a double-edged sword.
2: <laughs> so what's your take too? sorry, I just like love getting your perspective. And anyone who doesn't sure. follow Claire on Instagram, uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but like run because your captions yeah. are just like, it's like you're giving away this free aha moment advice every day. Um But so I'm just really interested to get your perspective on things and for people to really be able to soak up these what I'll call issues or scenarios that I think are just very reoccurring. Um, So I would love to get your take on dating with all of the amazing and impactful noise that women are making in the world today. Um, I have some thoughts on this and say, for example, like men wanting to split the bill on a first date. So what are your feelings on, Mm -hmm. on men trying to, in some way, some ways, like respect the noise that women are making for equality, but then also the chivalry?
1: Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is, you know, I think when, when we talk about dating, we're so, we all want more control. Like we so are deeply craving. Well, if like, is is there just a step-by-step way, Mm. you know, is there a formula, which I totally get. Um, again, it's just us wanting control, which is a lifelong oh, yeah. <laughs> struggle and journey. And so when it comes to this stuff, I think there, that's an element too, of craving a really concrete answer. And it reminds me of a couple of years ago. It's so funny. I say a couple of years ago and that I, that could be five or that could be two sure. so, or 10. <laughs> so, um, but it was when I first started actually meeting people in person and, by when I say started meeting people in person, meaning I engaged in conversation and Mm. I got the ball rolling.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, uh, the first guy that I chatted with at a coffee shop, um, we ended up later discussing how he said, you know, I wanted to say something. And we were talking about just dating at large. And he said, I've wanted to say something, but I never want to bother a woman. Oh, and I thought, Oh, and I've heard other men speak about that too. And so I bring that up, not to say any black or white answer, but that it's just, it's actually quite messy. And so the term chivalry too, um, drums up sort of, well, I want the man to take the lead and I want him to make the first move and Mm. him to be the one to ask me out and this, that, and the other thing. And I totally get that too. And, um, but there can be space for receiving the care of someone and also, uh, gosh, taking the lead or stating your needs. There's not really. So I think, you know, in this day and age, there's, there's not really a clean answer. I think it comes back to, and again, this is not a fair, very sexy answer of really having a clear sense of who you are and what you're seeking Mm -hmm. and, so a lot of times I will say one thing I work on with my clients a lot is like, it's our responsibility to communicate our needs to others. So, or it's our responsibility to teach others how we want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's true of anybody in your life, work, family, friends, especially relationships. And so that element of mind reading, which we can, I mean, we can have that tendency subconsciously where we want someone to read our mind. That to me just gets, dicier in this age that we're in right now. And the only answer I have to that is to be as conscious as possible of that. And then the other thing I think that falls under this conversation too is, so we, as women can often, there was a great, I think it's the the woman who does often leads the, she's the chief content officer of Goop. And she talked about um, how conversations with friends, or if you give a compliment to a friend, it's often like racquetball where I could say to you, you know, I mean, you probably wouldn't do this, but I could be like, oh, your hair looks so amazing. And you're like, oh, it's no big deal. I mean, I just, you know, and you don't accept the compliment. And so oh, deflecting. people yeah. either they don't accept it or they default to, to saying something self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time a guy really told me that um, I, you know, I said that I was beautiful. I, I wanted to like dry heave. Yeah. <laughs> like I, my body couldn't take it in. And that was more around, you know, the relationship I have with myself, exel- myself, accepting myself. And so when I think of mm, femininity, masculinity, the ability to receive is crucial in a romantic relationship. And I think that, that need to do it all on our own, that rah-rah independent woman which i'm totally rah-rah independent woman but where
2: does it come up against the space you yeah. left someone in? yeah it falls into that like yes and category you know we're like yes. you, you can have yes, both yes, yes. yeah and it's i think it's really too about just like listening to how certain things land within your body you know if like you're on a first mm. date and he's like do you want to split the bill if that or like let's split it or whatever. And that sends chills down your spine. and You're like, then that's just not your guy. And that's not what you're looking for. And now you know how to communicate to the next person. If it feels worthy enough to do so. Right. Totally. And I will say too, that I, a couple of examples are coming to mind.
1: I have offered to split a bill when I felt guilty. Like uh-huh. I was like, Oh, I, I should, yes. I chose the restaurant. And it, no, 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 I, I offered to pay because I felt guilty for choosing an expensive restaurant and that has more to do with my relationship with money and myself than it has anything totally. to do with that person. And then I kind of
2: resented that they accepted my offer yes. to pay.
1: Yes. And that wasn't about them at all. That yep. was all my shit. Yep. You know,
2: it's such a little game. Yeah. And I would also,
1: I mean, and this is where it's like, you have to, you know, I have come become pretty bold at this point, but you know, if someone wanted to split the bill I would probably do it in the moment, but then I would go back and say, you know, this is, I just want to be honest about this. It's really hard. I, I'm, it's so complicated because I'm really seeking someone. I can be so nurturing myself and I can care so much for others, but it's really important for me to have a partner that has an element of kindness and caring and generosity too. And it's so hard in the early days because a big sign of that is, um, financial. Yeah. (laughs) And, and so even just bringing that up and, and letting it be messy, there doesn't actually have to be a clean line. Yeah. Even just saying, ah, oh, this is hard and I don't know what to think, but it's coming up for me. And I just wanted to tell you mm-hmm. it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes so yes. true. And generally I'll add one more thing that we, if you find you have a story that keeps coming, like if something happens to you and it's like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, cool, well, this person did that and that means this. Mm-hmm like be mindful of what's everyone has their dating lens oh yeah that formulated by every single interaction and relationship you've had up until that point and mm-hmm. it's like oh if something really triggers you you gotta get conscious like what's your shit what's really about you what are you projecting what's not about them at all
2: totally yeah that's so true and kind of on that on that wavelength so about self-love how important do you this is kind of a weird way to frame this question, but how important do you feel like it is for someone to arrive completely whole and like emerge, immersed in self-love before finding a partner? Do you think it's okay and also healthy to have a little bit of like broken parts and hope to be healed by someone else? Like, is there a balance there? Yeah. I mean, I think we're constantly breaking and healing. (laughs) True. So,
1: you know, and our feeling of wholeness is, is it both a lifelong journey and waivers, you know, day to day, week to week, sometimes minute to Mm -hmm. minute. But can someone else make um, you
2: whole or do you think you have to arrive there on your own? I think these terms are really, I think like what is self love, like being,
1: you know, truly and wholly loving yourself and then being whole can feel Mm -hmm. really nebulous. I Mm -hmm. think that the, ultimately the power comes down to, um, you know, the strongest, you know, self-knowledge, the strongest understanding you can have of yourself, the strongest understanding you can have others, and then uh, how emotionally resilient you are. Now, I actually, again, all those terms can mean nothing. So it's kind of like, let me ground it in an example. I'll use myself. So it's like, I can know that I have certain patterns, triggers, issues, whatever you want to call it, from, let's say, my parents' divorce. And it's not my you know, it would be great if I that was never triggered in any relationship. Of course all relationships are mirrors, so it's definitely gonna be Mm -hmm. triggered. Um and I never brought that up and I never, you know, show you know, operated from from that because I hadn't fully healed it. But it's like that's that's a crazy expectation. What's more powerful is I've got this thing and working on healing it. Me being aware of it is the most powerful thing. Me learning to navigate it to teach someone else and teaching someone else can simply be like, Hey, here's where I can kind of be an asshole sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, totally. and I'm really working on it. So yeah. I don't think, you know, do you have to be completely whole before? you No, but I do think that there is, there's a dynamic in which you, I mean, to me, love is more about acceptance. Yes, and so totally. you are working to, um, Accept this other in the way that you're accepting yourself, and that you also that the whole is greater together, right? So the mm. the relationship you together you are actually bigger, greater, more successful, more su- expansive, like whatever you want to call it, as a couple than you are as individuals, and that can last two years, ten years, twenty. You know, you know, there's mm. no um, there's no set time frame on it. So uh, I mean, to me, it's more about learning to surrender to the messiness of the whole damn thing
2: yeah and what I'm hearing too is that it's more about um and I keep saying this phrase but it's just so true but like being self-aware enough to own where you come short um yeah so it's just like ownership over who you are because none of us are like we were saying in the beginning none of us have it all figured out
1: no, and I think I just heard this. It was a great conversation uh, between. I mean, of course, between Marion Williamson and Oprah. <laughs> I loved the way that Marion talked about how Western thought, Western psychology, is—we're so obsessed with our childhood wounds, mm. like healing our wounds, mm-hmm. and just, you know, I'm wounded in this way, and totally. Look, we all are. Awareness of those things is the key to life, the power to life. But this constant, I just need to heal and be just this, you know, we imagine like being eventually served up on a platter. Right. That with, with, I I don't know, a level, it's like a level of real talk, a level of humor, a level of kindness. Yes. I always tell people, it's like you got to give yourself the grace and the space to fuck up frequently. Yep. And um, and, And like you said, just to surrender to it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yes. You can't, mm. you can't heal all of your wounds. There's just no way.
1: And I don't know if it, we're meant to. 100%. I mean, yes. I totally agree. I mean, otherwise we just, cause I feel like with every, I mean, with every relationship, like this, this last one was so, it was so healing, even though it was, I mean, on so many, you know, there's just, nothing is so black and white. Yeah. white. Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. But then I discover a whole new level of, Oh, I really thought I'd fix that. Nope, still
2: dealing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So that actually leads me into my next thing. Um, and I'll, I'll share a little bit, I guess, um, as far as like an example with myself, but I want to talk about, you just posted about this being the fixer. Um, Mm. this was absolutely me. Um, and I'm really excited to dive into this a little bit more, but, So I'm what I would refer to, I lovingly refer to myself as this, but a recovering codependent um, when it comes to Uh relationships. So I was, like, notorious for putting everyone else, (laughs) yeah, before myself. My plans or wants or needs were on hold. And mind you, this was almost always my doing, right? Like, in no way was I the victim. Yeah, I was just, like, a hopeless romantic slash codependent. And I would, like, convince myself that what I just did that made them happy was like, I I was then happy because they were. There was no, well, what about me? It was like, no, they're happy, so like I'm good, right? And spoiler alert, it never works to live like that. It's exhausting (laughs) and resentment builds. And yeah, so I just, you might not break up if you're in a codependent relationship, but there will come a time where, whether it's temporarily or permanently, you'll lose pieces of yourself. Yeah. For me that was that was the relationship my last one where I was like, "Oh my gosh, I figured this out. This is such an equal partnership." And then when we started to have conversations about not being together anymore is when I realized, "Holy shit, I am doing the same dance just in a different suit." Yeah. Right? Like I was still doing these old patterns and he, you know, loved me enough to like kind of call them out and be like, "Yo, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not happy." And I'm like, yes, I am. You're happy. I'm happy. It was like the most bizarre Uh, uh -uh. wake up. I had my wake up call where I was like, whoa, I'm not doing that dance anymore. Yeah. So can we talk about codependency and being the fixer? Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, for me, um, I. So after my I saw a psychiatrist right after my parents divorced. And one thing they they told the psychiatrist told my parents was that I was. Parentifying, which is essentially, I was more concerned about the feelings and emotions mm. of my parents in the state of the divorce than I was my own, and so I think codependency. It's, I was just talking about this with a friend. I think it, it can be misinterpreted, and it it has a lot of sort of loose definition. So I will say I think it's important to clarify. I think in through it's helpful through examples. So and, and I want to talk back on your relationship too. But so in that scenario with my parents, it's like. I wasn't okay unless they were okay. Mm-hmm. So there's an element of codependency when you're that impacted by another's feelings, yeah. m- emotional state. And, and so similarly, and I've done this too in relationships where your mind is so fixated on, well, it's not even, cause you can use the language of like, well, you have to put your own mox- oxygen mask on first, or, you know, you can't be such a people mm-hmm. pleaser, but it's more subconscious than that where you have been, I mean, women have been in many ways culturally conditioned oh, to, yeah. you know, make sure, well, let me make sure everybody is okay yeah. But myself. But the thing is, is that what you have to be mindful of is that, and so I also use the term the fixer where it's like, well, let me fix everybody around me. When you one feel that's your responsibility and two, you actually get fulfillment and gratification from it. It's not other people's faults. Mm-hmm. It's like. It's, that's actually something so, you know, codependency is is like, what is that feeding within, you know, it's one thing to be caring, but it's another thing to get so much fulfillment and, and you may not even know this is happening. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, I've gone through relationships. I mean, earlier ones where I was doing, and I had no idea. And I think it's really interesting the way you, he sort of called you on it and you were like, Oh shit, it's still
2: coming up. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really, it's really hard to, to crack, but I find that. (sighs) Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, the thing that can be really confusing, what you were saying, is that, like, you can get a lot of gratification from it, right? And it can make you yeah. feel really good until it doesn't, right? right. Until... Like you have an expectation yes. of, like, well, I'm doing this to help you, and it's like... I That's what's never- so dangerous. Or, mm-hmm. or you end mm-hmm. up, your tank gets kind of empty, and you're like, well, hello, like, why is no one doing this for me now? You know? And it's like, because right. this isn't about them. Like, this was your doing. And
1: that comes back to our responsibility to teach others how yes. we want to be treated yes. and our ability to receive that care ourselves.
2: This episode yeah. just keeps coming full circle and I love it so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so it can be, re- it's a really, really tricky thing and it can sound really, really it's codependency when you don't completely understand it from the outside looking in, it can sound like two individuals that are really dependent on one another but it can it occurs in all capacities. it could be you could be codependent on your job you could be codependent on a certain friend I mean it happens a lot between this is interesting between female friendships oh yeah yeah I think that's something that's just come up for me sort of in conversation with some people recently and it's one of those things that's percolating so I'm like shit I gotta write something about this Mm but um right where you feel um uh, it's like, you can't, if you share some news with your friend, you know, if it's the single friend and then you're coupled up and the single friend feels, you don't want to share your news completely because you don't want to hurt her feelings. Right. And there's that type of dynamic. It could relate to anything. You had a great work success and you don't want to make someone else feel bad. It's like, well, that's not really about the other individual. Mm-hmm. That's about the dynamic between the two of you where you're just so impacted by the other's reaction.
2: Yeah. I got that a lot. Like right after my dad died. Actually, it probably lasted for about two years where I would have friends sort of tiptoe in that area, too, where they wouldn't share anything that, like, involved their dad. Yeah, you did so give me a chance. Yeah, so that's so – and it's all out of love is the tricky part is that you yes. know that they're just oh, trying God. to protect you and, like, not hurt your feelings, like you said. But, yeah, it's not a healthy way to be. Yeah. And, you know, I love that you touched on that because I really want the listeners to really be able to leave – After listening to this episode and be able to answer 100% certain yes or no if they're a codependent Um, but I also want them to be able to have some tools to detach from that kind of behavior if they're like oh shit that's me I am a codependent so are there one or two ways um, that you that you would tell let's say like a client who is really codependent different ways that they could detach from that behavior kind of free themselves from that way of living?
1: To me, it just starts with a lot of awareness and consciousness. So Mm -hmm. if you, it's like you can look at, are you really impacted by, so if someone, you know, if you get really bad feedback or someone says something to you that doesn't sit right with you is, does Mm -hmm. it totally send you into a spiral? Are you in such a state of people pleasing that Mm -hmm. you're really, really concerned by rocking the boat, um, or affecting others Mm -hmm. in any type of relationship? what if Parents, it does, friends, siblings, just like, if you are like, Oh yeah, I'm one of those, like, I really care mm-hmm. that I would have, it's like, you know, put your antenna up as to, okay. That's something to explore mm-hmm. there. And then, um, the other thing I would say is one thing I find is that, and I'm such a nurturer. I'm such a caregiver. I love making people. I mean, I've had a lot of people visit me, um, and my house and I, you know, I want the, I have all like fresh sheets and towels and everything's soft and there's flowers and I really care about that. But because I want them to feel welcome, but, and I, an example of me being upset would be like, Oh, well, they didn't comment on the flowers uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. or they didn't, which it hasn't happened, but it would be that level of like, why didn't they sort of acknowledge? Right. And then the third thing I'll say, and we should link to this in the show notes. This is, I always, when I work with clients, I always, I share a variety of different content because, um, it's much more impactful. It's kind of like you can hear something three times, but it's until you heard it the third way, the third, it's like, Oh yeah. Like light bulb moment. And so I just try to advance that learning when I work with people by, you know, I could have a conversation with them about, I might say to them, you know, you might want to like explore more about codependency and then I'll send them an article or a podcast by somebody else. Because if they hear it from multiple sources Mm. and voices, Mm. it literally reroutes their neural pathways faster. Yeah. It's It's so true. And so we can share this in the show notes. There's a great um, couples, I think couples, women's therapist, Terry Cole, who has, it's like a 20 minute podcast on, are you caring or are you codependent? Mm. And it, I think it's 18 minutes. I mean, it's just a total game changer. Listen to that and you'll know. I need to listen and, to uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. And the awareness will be, is so, so powerful because you'll realize that, it's coming up in other areas of your life. And once you start to catch it and see it, that's all you need. It'll
2: change. Yeah. And that's kind of what we were saying is that like, once you see and start to notice, you can't unsee, you can't unnotice the ball starts rolling. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I still have moments of sort of codependency patterns, like in my family or something Mm -hmm. that my mom says impacts me. But now I'm like, okay, yeah, that's what's cropping up, Clara. You know, Mm -hmm. you can sort of like put that on a mental shelf, but it's, um, it, 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 always, it, it gets easier with time. Right.
2: Oh, so good. Okay. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? I am. Okay. Yeah. I call them rapid fire, but of course, feel free to expand and take your time. Um, okay. So the first one, what is your mantra if you have one? Mm,
1: yeah. So I have, so one, I have a one that I always, it's always in the back of my mind. I mean, I think it's been this way for years and that is, uh, it's a Glennon and Alton Doyle. It's from her writing. From oh, I her, love her. Something so brilliant. Good. She's produced. She's my favorite. Um, I know, <laughs> but it's the phrase, do the next right thing. Oh, so yes. when I suffer from just anxiety or fear over anything in, in that moment of, to really ground myself is literally right now do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that to be really powerful and kind of hand in hand with that recently, I have been reminding myself or repeating the phrase, let it be enough, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's so hard at the end of the day, especially when you work for yourself to just let it be enough. Let the work you did that day be enough. And then not both believing that letting it sink in and then not actually allowing yourself the break, the respite, Uh you know, in between To really be a period of relaxation, like we so often, you know, it's like okay, I'm gonna relax now, and then we get there, and it's like we're so wired.
2: Yeah, or you're like scrolling (laughs) on your phone,
1: or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like okay, I'm done working. You know, so yeah, letting it be enough has been just like really yummy for me. That's so good. I love that. What is your morning ritual? I I love coffee, Mm -hmm. and I um I put sugar in my coffee, which I tell people because I feel like I mean. (laughs) I do mind my sugar, but I think we vilify it. I mean, yes, it's rightfully vilified, but I like a little sugar in my coffee. And um, I share that because I think it's, I don't know, these things where it's like if I can make somebody else who who likes it too feel more
2: okay with it, great. But uh, um, I love the mindfulness behind that. Like, I just want to make <laughs> someone else feel like they're not doing it wrong. <laughs>
1: I mean, maybe I'm half doing it for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, but totally. So, um, yeah, I um, I wake up. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a grandma. I I generally go to bed between like nine thirty and ten o'clock mm-hmm. at night, and I wake up pretty naturally between um five thirty and six 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 thirty somewhere in there, and I have coffee, and I I really try and start the day in a soft way, and that's generally by reading. So I may be reading. I read a lot of fiction. There's um, I, I actually, I didn't realize I was doing this, but Serena Wolf, who is um, a food blogger, she described how she helps soothe her anxiety by reading medium bad fiction. Oh, <laughs> So I will read fiction that's just pretty easy. I mean, a lot of like Leanne Moriarty, stuff that's not super complex. And I often start the day with that or whatever else I happen to be reading. Right now I'm reading a book about, um, I don't know, sort of the journey of souls. And that's just something that feels... You know, I have another book that I'm reading about the psychology of trauma in the body and that's more, you know, analytical. So yeah, I start the day reading and then I generally get to work around uh seven
2: thirty or eight o'clock in the morning. You and me are the same. Coffee in a book. <laughs> I need so like good. Yeah, I need like an hour. And it was so funny, my mom and I just had a conversation the other day and um she was telling my grandma about how I've become such a morning routine person and she was just saying, like, in a way that it, like, kind of made her smile because my dad was so that way. It was, like, mm-hmm. when he woke up, it was – and I was, like, oh, my gosh, you're so right. It was just all I knew with him. So I never really, like, gave thought to it. But she was, like, you are, like – you need that hour of quiet and coffee and a book or a journal. And, like, your father was exactly that way. And I used to have some shame around it where I was, like, man, I should, like, be getting up and working out and, like, starting work right away just like everyone else – and that kind of yeah. gave me the freedom to be like, no, like I'm my father's daughter. I'm just honoring this process of like waking up slow and setting my intentions internally. And it feels really good. I love that. I just made I your answer whether, about me. Sorry.
1: <laughs> no, I love it. I and mean, whether your dad did, I think that's so like such a beautiful way to both like connect to your dad and yeah. also, yeah, I, I can relate to the guilt, you know, but yes. it's, we have this idea of. I don't know. To me now, I'm like, why wouldn't if I have the liberty? And when I have a kid, I won't be able to start the day in a soft way. Uh-huh. So
2: unless you wake I, up like two hours earlier, yeah. exactly, yeah, exactly, which so you can do. Yeah,
1: I'm <laughs> really appreciative of this time right now. Absolutely,
2: <laughs> yep. I feel the same way. And like you know, the thing was, it's like with corporate, that's what I did. I would wake up and have to go to work right away. You know, so yeah, it's about reversing that and just being like, man, I am so lucky that I get to that I get to have this time and create my own flow for myself. So. So great. What's the best life advice that you've ever received?
1: Oh, mm, gosh. What's the best life advice? You know, truthfully, I don't, it, it's like, it, it's ever evolving. I think mm. that there's a lot of, I think surrender gets really, um, it's, it's hard to not sound that say that and sound super cheesy, No, um, way. but I don't, what's coming up for me right now is I've given myself a lot of space to mess up.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And part of what that's been fueled by is actually, this is a good, this is probably what's behind it all is, um, move at the pace of nature. And so I, I am so conditioned to just get it done and move quickly and, and be very like my fulfillment is very sort of task oriented. I check off all these tasks. And now that I work in a capacity where, writing is not a fast process. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. It's not. And so this this concept of moving at the pace of nature and allowing things to actually take time, mm-hmm. allowing my coaching business giving it the space to actually build and being so just conscious and grateful right now mm-hmm. for I mean, I have a inappropriate love for my clients. I love these women that I get to work with. It's so um it's so wonderful and so to give it the the space and the patience and uh, the pace of moving more slowly in an, mm. in an era where everything is expected to move so quickly has been really, really freeing. And I also am surrounded. So funny last night, there were a bunch of deer in my yard and I live kind of in a more developed area. So I didn't really expect them to be there. And hours prior, I had just had a conversation about how, Oh, there probably won't be any deer traipsing through this area because mm. there are more houses here. And uh, without an hour and a half later, there are two like staring at me uh-huh. from windows. And so, yeah, I would say right now it's move at the pace of nature.
2: I love that. And it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but with the show Queer Eye, um, mm-hmm. Bobby Burke on there, he had a quote that was like, the day you plant the seed is not the day that you eat the fruit, right? Yeah. Where it's like, yes. oh, no, that sorry, that wasn't Bobby Burke. But that is a quote that I love so much. And it really goes in with what you're saying, where it's like, you know, you plant the seed and you just take some time and, you know, you... Nurture the seed, and yeah, you just like move at that slower pace. And to practice patience, and really beautiful things come from that. So, sure. I love that. What's one way that you practice self care every day?
1: It's gonna be like red wine, um, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, what's one? I I do yoga pretty much every single day, awesome, and I uh meditate every day. Right mm. now, I have been doing it, I go through phases, I go through a I have a guided meditation mm-hmm. that I do and we can, I'm happy to link to it just cause I, it's so, yeah, it's so, so soothing. And I will take, so I break in the middle of the day. I get up and I work probably until like, I don't know, 11, noon, something like that. And then I take a couple hours in the middle of the day where I work out, I meditate, I maybe take. I mean, my meditations end up kind of being like a nap. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I think you've talked a little bit about human design on this show, mm-hmm. um, but I'm a projector, so me too. I feel
2: like
1: that gives, like that gives me agency to be tired all. Oh time. yeah.
2: <laughs> Sleep is crucial to our success and well-being. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. So, um, so I would say I'm pretty generous on at least. And it's so funny. My dad, who also passed away. Um, a couple of years, Oh God, it's been six years ago at this point. Uh-huh. He was a midday napper and I just love a midday. Even if I don't go completely out, it's so yeah. restorative and I feel very, very grateful that I work from home and I have the ability to do that right. because it's, I, I, I realize now like I, I need it. It's just how I, mm-hmm. so I will always be in a capacity general. I mean, a i of some traveling. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I'm fine if I, I won't be, you know, somewhere and have to lie down, but when I'm home, it's so oh God. It's it's really wonderful.
2: Mm-hmm. Could not agree more. That's so funny. Your projector. I love that because we're somewhat rare. There's not a ton of us out there. So are there not? Mm-hmm. Is that why we're? <laughs> yeah, it's reflectors <laughs> are the most rare, and then projectors. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: That's yeah. So cool. That's been super helpful for me. That. Oh is, my that... gosh. Yeah. That like changed yeah. my life. Have you,
1: have you had a reading done?
2: Cassandra? Yeah, Jenna Zoe did it. Um, she did it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I've thought about it. that and just like the receiving element, uh-huh. uh, like waiting for something to come to you has been really, really helpful. For yeah.
2: Me. It was really hard at first, like the invitation, mm-hmm. but now that I have like really, I've dove in in like headfirst to really learning what all of that means has been, yeah, like you said, it's been like extraordinarily helpful. Um, cause it can sound like projectors come off as being super lazy. Um, it's like, oh, you know, it's yeah. like we have to sleep a lot. And then it's like we're just sitting back and waiting for things to happen when really that's just like not the reality at all. So for anyone that's like, what the hell, what tangent did they just go on? <laughs> well, we'll link the I stuff know. in I the show like notes.
1: Like speaking a different language. Yeah, totally.
2: But, you know, short version is human design is kind of like this, this way that syncs with your birth chart of like who you were, you know, put into this world to be and honoring like all of your systems and how your body works and all that stuff. Um but, yeah, it just, like, gave me permission to just be, like, oh, I can just, like, be myself. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, this is, like, yeah. how I'm meant to go. So, okay, so what is one internal thing that you're currently working on? Mm,
1: so... I would say, um, hmm, like how personal I want to get here, but I'm just going to put it all out on the table. Yeah. Speak so your truth. I'm like, there's like, I know no other way other than baring my soul, but, uh, so I, yeah. So this relationship ended a few months ago and, um, it's been a really, I haven't, I it's it really shut me down sexually in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And that's been kind of, that's been new for me and that, and, I feel fortunate in that I can be curious about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't have a lot of sort of like shame or worry just both given the type of work that I do mm-hmm. and what I've been through in life to this point. And so, but it's also, there's an element that's, uh, it's, it's a little sad. And so in terms of what I'm working on, it's getting conscious too. I just started doing um, breath work for the first mm-hmm. time, which is so a powerful, powerful. really transformative experience. Yeah. And, um, and working on that in that capacity and it's it's one of those things where it's like this isn't the you know this greater story around just like leaning you know into my sexual identity is this isn't the first time it's come up so it's some deeper work
0: there for sure mm.
2: um yeah so that's, that's amazing that's I'm working on right now I love that so you have one message to share with the world what message would that be
1: oh gosh be ever so kind to yourself mm. I, I I just I hear maybe, and maybe that's because of the, the, you know, the people that I work, with. I just work with so many amazing women who are so talented and so caring and loving and incredible. And this was me too, because I was so hard on myself and, mm-hmm. and still am in certain ways. I remember mm-hmm. years ago, I hired a hypnotherapist, which was partially for experience, but and she was great, but I, I tell the story of I paid six hundred dollars for somebody to tell me that I didn't think I was enough. Like, of course I don't think I'm enough. Right? You know. That's and so, <laughs> and then for a while I had like post-it notes all around my apartment and cabinets that were like, "You are enough." My cleaning lady was probably like, "What?" Is the deal <laughs> with this girl, <laughs> you know, she, like came over from Russia. She's like these weird ass Americans. Yeah, she's like one like that are just too ob- obsessed with their wounds. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just to God, be so so kind to yourself. I'm so conscious of the language that I use, and I, you know, it's I'm conscious of it because when I work with people now, I'm very, I'm you know, we work a lot on like the language they use with themselves. Yeah, and so for me, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty kind to myself. Not always perfect, but I love that, that that would be my message: be yeah. ever so kind to
2: yourself. I was just in Boston on a girls trip, and one of my best friends, Erin. I was just not doing very well that week. I don't know, I don't know what was up, but just energetically, I was off, and. I was like I had said a couple things and she would like kind of like hit me on the arm and be like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like and then so I just got super self-aware of like, whoa, I am having some major negative self-talk. And so it helps my point on that is that I think because a lot of people can relate. It helps to also have someone in your corner that you can be like, hey, I am aware that I'm doing this like negative self-talk game. Can you like can you help me and like call me out when I'm doing yeah. that? Can you not let me sink into that? And so all weekend, she was yeah. just like, no, 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 no. Like flip that script. Stop. You know, and it would feel really frustrating because you're like, stop. Just like, let me speak my truth. But being my best friend, she was like, that's not your truth. You're just being a total asshole to yourself. Like, stop. Yeah. You know,
1: That that is female friendship. I mean, that, totally. having that accountability partner in that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That to me, when you can call each other on your ship is, it comes, I mean, in a
2: kind way, Yeah. when you have permission, but it comes from a place of love is so awesome. It's the most beautiful intimacy ever, I think. Yeah. So last question, what does mindfulness mean to you?
1: What does mindfulness mean to me? I would say it starts with being conscious Mm -hmm. of your needs Mm -hmm. and then honoring your needs and whatever that capacity whatever capacity that is and what, however that looks like and being very mindful that it's not going to be perfect, Mm -hmm. allowing it to not be perfect, giving yourself permission to not for it to not be perfect and for it to evolve over time.
2: Mm, I love that. Like seeking it and then honoring it. I love that. Yeah. It's definitely like a two-step process for sure. You can't just see it and then sit on it, you know?
1: No, it's yeah. a responsibility to have to yourself and to other people, I would argue too. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I kind of goes back to what you said of like giving yourself the grace in the space, right? Yes. I love that. Yes, yes, I'm yes. going to use that and I'll credit you every time I do, but I love that so much. I don't know. It came to me years ago and it's been so powerful. It's so Just, good. Yeah. And where can people find you?
1: Yeah, they can find me. Um, I'm Instagram, obviously. So it's at Clara Persis and C-L-A-R-A-P-E-R-S-I-S. That's actually my middle name. Yes. And then, yeah, that has link to my website and articles and everything. And, uh, yeah, that's the, the easiest way to find me. There's, of course, a website, ClaraArchmogger.com. But now as I say that out loud, my last name is really difficult to spell, so I'll just leave you. <laughs> with the Instagram handle, but it's like one of those, I'm like, "Mm, I should probably change those to be the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Instagram, Best
2: place. Cool. Thank you so much for taking the time out. I just, I -hmm. cannot wait to get the feedback from what everyone thinks from this episode because it really just was so like, there's that word again, but vulnerable and just, I don't know, it was healing for me. So I know it's going to be healing for a lot of other people out there. So thank you so much for being so open with all of us.
1: Oh, well, likewise, it goes both ways. And I mm. love, love, love what you do. So this was, this was a treat. This was really, this was really fun. I know. I, I, that it re- yeah, I know. I'm like, this was really fun.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm glad our schedules finally aligned. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: You're so welcome.
2: Mm, you guys, how amazing is Clara? I hope, hope, hope there were some really powerful takeaways for you in this episode And you're leaving feeling a bit more grounded, whether it's within your relationship you're sharing with someone else or the relationship that you've got going on with yourself or both. I loved so much her response to ghosting, something that, yes, has been going on for years and years, but to bring it on home with the rationale that it has to do with our own vulnerability when we choose to ghost. And if you've ever been ghosted, you know how bad that hurts. So I hope this gave you the permission to see it just from a whole different perspective And that it actually has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the other person not feeling in alignment with themselves, right, enough to be honest or vulnerable to share how they're feeling. So remember this too, rejection is always protection. If you love this episode or you've been following this podcast for a while, I would be so grateful if you take just a few seconds and head on over to iTunes and leave a quick five-star rating and review if that feels good to you. To say thank you, because I really do appreciate it, please take a screenshot of your review and email it to hello at the calm and I'll reply back with my print shop link where you can choose one free instant download print from my collection. They're usually about $20 each, so I hope this exchange feels good to you. I really do appreciate you all so much and this podcast would be nothing without you. Plus, when you leave reviews and ratings, it helps this podcast to grow organically which means we can continue to bring amazing guests on like Clara and help this show to land in the laps of those who are looking for a deeper sense of self-worth and awareness, self-discovery, and mindfulness. Thanks again so much for listening, and I'll see you back here next time, hopefully sounding way more normal than this.